Everybody's straggling in late, I guess, here. Good morning, good morning, gang. I don't mind a, a, a general uh, ruckus going on it, it's while, while we're uh, teaching. So you can, if you want to talk and, and throw tomatoes or <laughs> heckle, or you can, you can laugh outrageously if you want at some of the more serious passages, liven up the place. Okay, good morning. We are in the, in the short little letter of Micah. For the month of December, we have five Sundays this month and no interruptions as far as I know so far, should the Lord delay him, his return. Uh, Micah uh, was a contemporary of Isaiah, you remember? Uh, he did not live in Jerusalem as Isaiah did. Isaiah was perhaps uh, a, a part of the royal family or high up in the culture. He was this, uh, Micah was a country guy, but... But uh, he served God for about 40 or 50 years during the reign of four kings. Probably what he's writing to us is coming during the time of King Hezekiah, one of the relatively good kings. And uh, Isaiah, uh, Micah begins by asking all the nations to, to please come and observe God's judgment of Israel because Israel is God's model nation and... Uh, uh, we all the nations of the world are supposed to look at the nation of Israel and how God deals with them and learn from that and and um, I, uh, eventually all the nations of the world will be judged against Israel as the standard and Israel's done a rather lousy job down through the years of being a very good model but behind Israel is Jesus who is the true Israel and he himself stands. Uh, 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 will maintain and uphold the, the integrity of the nation in the long run. So, uh, uh, as uh, the Bible says, he who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye. Uh, you don't want to mess around with Israel, even in their unbelief, because Jesus is their kinsman redeemer, and he's going to make sure that they turn out uh, on the winning side of things, as, as this book says. Uh, in uh, the chapter 1, he says the Lord is coming out of his place, uh, the, God's stepping out of his place in the, uh, outside of time and space, and he's going to come down and, and look and see what's going on, see for himself what's going on, get personally involved. And, of course, the person in the Godhead who gets personally involved in the judgment of the world is Jesus. Uh, and it's going to get to be pretty bad. God's not happy with the uh, ten northern tribes, which uh, during Micah's lifetime will be carried captive into uh, Assyria in 722. And a little bit later on, the southern tribes, two southern tribes, will be taken into Babylon as a judgment on their various sins. Uh, and chapter 1, uh, he, uh, Micah talks about the coming judgment of Samaria and the destruction of the beautiful cities in the northern capital and then the What's coming is also going to come down to uh, Jerusalem. Then he runs around and, uh, the, some of the cities in Judah, city by city, and makes a little pun on each of the names of the cities and the meaning of the names. 
uh, and makes a little pun about how they're all going to be wasted and devastated and left empty and um, destroyed. Uh, in chapter 2, which we did last week, uh, he uh, talks about people who lay awake at night scheming on how to get rich at the expense of others, how to buy up more land, how to build up a bigger empire. Uh, uh, I have a friend of mine who works in construction. He happens to be currently working in a nice home in Los Altos Hills. Uh, the price tag on this nice home is $58 million. <laughs> That ought to buy a comfy, cozy home. I think the <laughs> family has two kids. So how's that for a family of four? Is that a, is that, is there, do you see anything excessive about that? <laughs> Fifty-eight million. Uh, the city council, even I guess, is balking at improving some improving some of the things. Uh, marble imported from Carrera in Italy, and uh, anyway, we go we go in for that around here in Los Altos and Atherton, and um, we, where we have an enormous amount of wealth and an enormous amount of of uh, people uh, with lots and lots of money. Uh, but in Israel, uh, Israel uh, had neglected social justice. They had been neglecting the poor. Oftentimes the rich get rich at the expense of others, trampling others. And uh, that's a big no-no in the law of Moses because God cares about widows and orphans. And he doesn't mind if you have money, if you're generous and kind and, and you're considerate of the poor and the helpless and the homeless. Uh, and the Jews were not. So they're building little empires for themselves. Uh, Micah is himself personally very distressed at all this when he sees it. Uh, Micah also tells us that there are a number of false teachers running around in the country, preachers and teachers who teach good times and prosperity when in fact it's a time of judgment, teaching exactly the opposite of what the reality is. And that makes Mike an unpopular teacher, and he tends to get marginalized because all these other speakers are are, are big league. They've got uh, big mega churches and and nice chandeliers, and they have lots of money in limousines, and so obviously they must be right. God must be blessing them because they have 10,000 members and a hundred million dollar budget. So how could they possibly be wrong? But they are. Um, now, uh, chapter 2 closed with one of these little gems. And Micah, the reason, part of the reason to do Micah at the Christmas season is because we get some little wonderful gems about uh, the Messiah and about, about the end of the age. And, and verses uh, 12 and 13 at the close of chapter 2 are really neat because they talk about the very end of the age when the Messiah comes back. And, it sa- and God says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. That would be the believing minority within the generally secular nation. I will put them together like sheep in the fold like a flock in the midst of their pasture, and they'll make a loud commotion there uh, because there are so many of them, it says. And then the one who breaks open will come, the breaker. The breaker will come and break open the sheepfold and deliver his sheep, and uh, they will pass out through the gate back to Jerusalem with the chief shepherd with them, and this shepherd is, is also their king, and he's also Jehovah. 
So uh, there you see all in one, uh, uh, all of the compounded titles of Jesus, the chief shepherd. Chief shepherd of the sheep, who delivers his sheep, who keeps them safe in the sheepfold. A sheepfold is a walled enclosure made out of rocks in Israel. Usually everything's made out of rocks. That's all they have over there, rocks. So a sheepfold would be a round enclosure to keep the sheep safe. And you have a gate, and normally the shepherd would sleep in the gate to protect the flock. If he's gone, he would close the sheepfold. Well, here Jesus is pictured as breaking open the the sheepfold in order to bring his sheep to safety. And if they're out of Israel, which they are, I think they're down in Basra, bringing the remnant back to Jerusalem in triumph at the second coming. Okay? The breaker. Jesus as the breaker. It's significant here that you know, he doesn't drive them out. No, he leads them out. And the commotion, the Hebrew talks about a commotion going on. You can imagine the, the, uh, the, the praise and the joy and the rejoicing when the chief shepherd shows up to get the remnant out of, of their uh, safe haven down in southern Jordan and bring them uh, back into their own land, as if he was the new Moses, the, the later, latter-day Moses. And Jesus shows up on the Mount of Olives, and he shows up on the Mount of Olives with blood all over his garments. We talked about that last week. And what blood is that? Not the blood of the cross. It's the blood of his enemies. It's the blood, uh, it's Jewish blood from the unbelieving part of Israel, which has to get judgment that they have been waiting for for a few thousand years now. Okay, chapter 3. This neat little gems. Um <clears throat> I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about Jesus as the one who breaks out or breaks us out. And it's a kind of military term in Hebrew, it, it, the, the strong one who delivers by breaking you out of, your, out of the sheepfold. Chapter 3. And I said, Micah is now going to take uh, you know, to task, not just the people who live out in the country, he's going to take to task the leaders of the country. Uh, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? Uh, the rulers, this would be uh, members of the royal family, family. This would be men of influence in government, be sort of like our governors, mayors, city council members, senators, congressmen, anybody in a political authority. And also in Israel, we also have religious authority because we got a high priest and we have priests, and the priests are all supposed to teach uh, the word of God. And uh, the reminder is that anybody who is in authority has been put there by God and is accountable for, by God. And that still holds, holds for us today. Anybody who's in public office, anybody who's a judge, a politician is going to answer to God. And of course, most governments are not exactly models of excellence, as we know. And he says of the current leaders, he says the following, you who hate good and love evil. Isaiah says uh, the same thing. He says, you turn things upside down by calling evil good and good evil. And Mike is saying the same things here. you got your values absolutely reversed. Uh, and then he uses some very vivid language about how the leaders are treating the ordinary people. He says, uh, you strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. It's just like the leaders are like cannibals here. Uh, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones, chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. How's that for a rather vivid picture of, of corrupt leadership 
destroying the people under them. That's very vivid language. And I don't suppose the leaders liked that when Micah went and told them that that's what they were doing. I don't suppose he made him any more popular. Now, uh, eventually, the, the people in leadership are going to get to the point that something's wrong, and it says they will cry out to God. Then they, these leaders, will cry out to the oppressor, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. There comes a point when people who know the truth and have rejected the truth uh, turn to God and find that he doesn't answer them. That would be a terrible place to be, would it not? To be in the situation where you suddenly it dawns on you that you're in great big trouble with God and you go to God and you ask for his help and he just ignores you. Because all along you've had all, all kinds of opportunities to change and mend your ways and you have ignored God for a long time so he's going to ignore you. Scary, is it not? Now we're going to talk about the false prophets. Now the false prophets today would correspond with, uh, oh, our radio and TV preachers and some of the large pastors and preachers in some of our big churches, probably many churches today. That's where you, you get false prophets. But you also, we also get secular false prophets today, don't we? These would be the movers and shakers of society who give us their opinion on politics and on the economy and on the state of the world and the, the, tell us how to live. They're also in the class of, of influencing and shaping society. They're also accountable to God. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their feet, their teeth. But, uh, that's kind of a munch on their cigars or... Uh, actually ignoring what the people are, are really really going on. Uh, but while they talk peace, they are preparing war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Uh, so God isn't satisfying their greed and their, uh, answering their prayers, and that makes them all angry and upset. Um, and to these false teachers, I, Micah says, therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun will go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. The seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners shall be abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. That's this terrible, tragic end to false teachers. Uh, remember we had that in Jude, that they are wandering stars for whom the uh, blackness of outer darkness is reserved forever. Strong language of their to total eventual isolation in outer space. Uh, the same language here, that anybody who distorts and teaches and twists the word of God is in for big trouble. And we got plenty of those people in our country today who fail to teach the truth, fail to teach the whole truth, steer you off in their own little direction, now, so so Mike is very very unhappy with the uh, with the uh, the uh, with the leadership in the and with the uh, both political and religious in Israel. And then he says of himself in verse eight, "But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to sin Israel his sin." His, I'm confident that God is using me, and I've given myself to the Lord, and uh, 
take me seriously because I believe that God's using me and speaking through me. That takes a lot of godliness to be able to say that about yourself. It'd be better to have somebody else say it maybe for you, but he's a little autobiographical. He's courageous. He's very courageous. He doesn't mind if he gets killed for speaking the truth. Now hear this, verse 9. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity. It's a terrible thing to say about people in, uh, in the courts who ought to be arbitrating in the, in, in the favor of justice and truth and ought to be fair and balanced. Who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. How many people are into religion because it pays well? <laughs> because it's a nice, comfortable living. And the only other option for a lot of preachers would be to be used car salesmen, and, and that's not really very good. So you would get a job being a preacher and, and get a nice, reasonable, safe, secure living that way. And in a lot of churches, it doesn't matter what you teach, as long as you're funny or popular, say nice things to people. Don't talk about sin. Uh, and how about a little money under the table uh, when it comes to uh, government organizations letting out contracts? And uh, does any of that go on today in the world? I, I doubt it, but maybe once in a while. No, it's pretty common. Uh, people in leadership are easily influenced when it's to their financial advantage. Um, and these uh, false preachers, he says, they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Oh, we're God's men. We've been to the right seminary. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're teaching truth and, and uh, we care about people. But not so. Therefore, because of you, because of you false teachers, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the Lord like the bare hills of the forest. There is coming a time when Jerusalem will be utterly destroyed and laid waste, and it will be because of you guys. You guys who fail to teach the truth of the word of God accurately, faithfully, now that happened in 586 when Nebuchadnezzar came in and burned down the temple and took the gold and, just, and uh, destroyed things pretty well. The Jews came back from Babylon, rebuilt the city. Remember, uh, built the temple first and then Nehemiah came in and put the walls and they got a, a second temple going. And that temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Romans. And the, the Jews uh, uh, continued to revolt, by the way, in Jerusalem all the way up to uh, Emperor Hadrian. And in A.D. 131, Emperor Hadrian said, these Jews are just uncontrollable. I'm going to throw all of them out of Jerusalem and not let any Jews live in Jerusalem. And he plowed over the Temple Mount, plowed it over, and changed all the city streets around and reduced every evidence that the Jews even lived there. 131 A.D., Hadrian. And the name of the city was changed to Aeolia Capitolina. And he changed the name of the country to Palestinia. And so, and Jews were not allowed to live in, in Jerusalem. A few of them lived there secretly, and some of them lived up in uh, 
Safed and up in, uh, in Tiberias, but mostly the country, just no more Jews, out. So this literally happened, and it happened not just once, and to have the Temple Mount all plowed over. Pretty, and it's all because of uh, the false use of religion and not teaching the whole truth. Be pretty awful to come here and find that, that this uh, this place had been plowed over, <laughs> turned into a thicket. Probably not us. It'd probably be the, some of these other churches. <laughs> we'll have roses blooming here. <laughs> now, there's probably no chapter division here uh, in Micah. So uh, now we get one of these great, marvelous passages which uh, coincidentally appears also in Isaiah. Now, the, the version here in Micah is a verse or two longer, and there's a dispute as to who said what to whom, who copied from whom. Uh, the fairly popular opinion is that Micah said it first, and Isaiah borrowed it from him. But it's God's word, so that's quite all right. And uh, here's what Micah says in chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days... Remember that little clue in the latter days generally looks to the far distant future, not to the immediate future. In the immediate future in Jerusalem, uh, it's pretty grim in Micah's day. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house, Har Habayat, the mountain of the Lord's house, that's the temple mount, shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. There's coming a time when the temple in Jerusalem will be lifted up, probably even geographically. Remember in, um, in the book of Zechariah, uh, the coming of the Lord causes a great earthquake in Jerusalem and, uh, and topographical changes. And very likely the temple mount will even be elevated physically and a great temple will be built there and the Lord will come to Jerusalem to sit on his throne. That's what Micah is talking about. The mountain of the Lord's house will be established uh, as the highest of the mountains and exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, isn't that ridiculous? If you look at the world today, when do you hear about international peace conferences going on in Jerusalem? Why, they go on in Annapolis, they go on in Cairo, they go on in uh, Timbuktu, and, and the nations all run off to some foreign city to decide the fate of Jerusalem, to, to argue the, the future of Israel. Just had a conference in Annapolis two weeks ago where where the Arabs and the Jews and everybody all came together and the president had things to say to bring about world peace. And, and it's all uh, phony and false. Uh, you, maybe it would be a good time for you to remember Psalm, the second Psalm. Just because this is the, the key to so much that's going on in the world today is in Psalm 2. Uh, and it, can I read it for you? Why do the nations rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? Oh, that's in the Messiah, too. If this Christmas season, we can listen for that in Handel's Messiah. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Kings of the earth are just like wild animals. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. It's done deal. For Jesus to be king of kings in Jerusalem is a done deal. Forget about all this raging and competition and, uh, and stewing of the nations. The Lord just laughs at that. Now he gets, gets personal. The, the Messiah is speaking. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. There he is. That's, the word begotten is spoken of his birth. It's spoken of his resurrection. It's spoken of his kingship. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Uh, that's what the, God is saying to his son Jesus. Ask me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now a little bit of word, uh, word of advice to us Gentiles who don't uh, uh, live in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Isn't that comforting? And that's, of course, exactly what Micah is telling us about. There is coming a day when Jesus will sit on a throne in Jerusalem and all the nations of the world will come to Jerusalem to get advice and counsel from Jesus directly. Shall flow there from all the nations of the world. That's pretty awesome. That will be the center of knowledge and of truth and of teaching. And what will be taught? What is it the subject? What's, the, what's going to be taught? The law. The full sweep of what the law is all about. It's going to be taught. The full truth about God. Uh, Micah says, uh, uh, the, the, the out of Zion the law will go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the center of teaching and truth will be again Jerusalem and council. Now we also, in verse 3 of chapter 4 in Micah, he, who's that? That's Jesus, that's the Messiah. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. With his rod of iron, strong government. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Peace on earth at last, and a peace that's enforced, a kind of enforced peace. Now, everybody sort of know where we fit into all this? We're, we're out of here by then. We're not. This is the people who have survived World War III, the nations of the world who have survived World War III. The sheep and the goats are divided, and the world is kind of in ruins. The cities are destroyed, and the Internet is down, and your morning paper doesn't show up, and the, the cell phones are not working, and, uh, and, but there are survivors, and yeah, no, probably no airplanes flying, and, and it's time to rebuild the earth. 
and to rebuild the nations and to build them on a godly foundation, economically, politically, a whole new structure. And that will all be done by King Jesus from Jerusalem supervising this thousand years of peace on earth. And uh, we can help with it, although we, uh, our home is not in Jerusalem or Palo Alto at that time. We are in New Jerusalem. I expect we have our nice ranch in New Jerusalem. A billion people in New Jerusalem figures out to be a cubic mile each. Now, if you are an interior decorator uh, and you're given a cubic mile to make yourself a nice, cozy little ranch, what would you like to have? I have some people I'd like next door, and then I'd like to have some people that don't live quite so close to me. And I wouldn't mind a little waterfall and a lot of green things and, and green growing things and um, a little soft music and some privacy. But uh, that's, that's going to be plenty roomy up there. I think that's, I can't prove all this, but I think that's where we will be, the church, the bride of Christ, in our new resurrection bodies, in a city free from all sin. Now you go down to the earth, and the earth is not free from sin. People are being born on uh, uh, on the earth for a thousand years, and these people have their same fallen natures, and the devil is chained for a thousand years, locked up tight. And Jesus is reigning with a strong rod from Jerusalem. So if people get out of line, their things are corrected pretty quickly. And so we'll have a wonderful golden age on earth in which uh, uh, we'll at long last have uh, total happiness and no sin. Wrong. No. Uh, we won't, we'll have rebellion and we'll have uh, people born who are sinful and rebel against God. And the, the governments of the nations will need to have authority and power from God to manage the whole thing, to rebuild the earth. And those, all those old promises that God made to Israel will be fulfilled. All those hundreds and hundreds of things that he promised Israel. What did he promise Israel? Plots of land, sheep and goats and cattle and orchards and vineyards. And He didn't promise those things to the church. He promised them to Israel. You can imagine... Um, uh, one of the patriarchs waking up uh, someday and waking up at the resurrection and uh, he finds out that the uh, church has replaced Israel. And, and God has to say, apologize to him and say, oh, you know, while you were dead, uh, we made some rearrangements and I'm not giving you to that piece of land that I promised you. And oh, by the way, I, uh, we thought that a throne for David wasn't appropriate. I know I promised it to him, but... You know, in the light of progress, uh, we decided that it would be better just to have one great big church. Uh, it's mostly Gentiles, and you, I know you guys don't like Gentiles very well, but they're doing such a wonderful job that we thought we'd let them run everything, and we'd sort of blend the church and Israel all together. And you could just, all those old promises in the Old Testament, you shouldn't take them so literally. We've got to streamline the whole program. Now, is that going to be all right with you, Abraham? Isaac, Jacob, David. See the what? See what happens when you don't take God's word seriously, verse by verse, and look at everything He says in there, and take it all into account. Which is what's happening today, because most churches in this country right now are into replacement theology, and you go there and they will teach you that the church has replaced Israel in the plan of God, and. Open up Micah or at Israel, it's pretty hard to believe that could possibly be the case. How literal is Micah here when he says 
that, 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 that Jerusalem will be the place where the word of God is taught and Messiah will sit on his throne and there will be no more war on the earth and everyone will sit under his vine and fig tree and no one will make them afraid. The mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Does God do what he says he's going to do? Yes. Does he do exactly what he says he's going to do? Oh, yes, in great detail. Almost never is the Bible symbolic. It's almost always, take it literally first, and then after you've exhausted all literal possibilities, then you can consider the poetic and symbolic layers underneath. Okay? End of rant. Verse 5 of chapter 4. Uh, it is Micah takes us out of this look at, at the future and he talks about the current situation when he's alive. He says, for all people walk each in the name of his God. All these Gentile nations are following their own God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. There is a commitment of Micah and the remnant to be faithful to the one true God. And he invites all of us Gentiles to be faithful to the one true God because everybody else has got the wrong God. I listened to a really fine sermon by Mark Driscoll from Seattle this week. He's a rambunctious young pastor. It was an hour. He talks an hour always. And it was on worship. And he points out that we're born to worship. And so we start worshiping just as soon as we're old enough to walk. And the problem with worship is we generally worship all the wrong things. And so in order to, to know God, we have to change our worship. We have to stop worshiping money and we have and bodies and people and things. And we have to begin to worship the one who said he was the truth. And, and that's so uh, you can't help but be religious. And the whole community around you is into some kind of religion or other. We're very subtle in this country in our pagan idolatry. But the job of being a Christian is to change your lifestyle around so that everything you do becomes worship. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So uh, I, I was helped by that message. It's a reminder that uh, worship is 24-7. A.W. Tozier said that. He said, if you're not worshiping God seven days a week, you're not worshiping God at all. So worship isn't the 20-minute thing they in, when the band plays and the church in the morning, for which they have worship rehearsal, whatever that is. That's an oxymoron. I don't think you do that. You can't have worship rehearsal. Uh, worship is what you're doing right now. It's a matter of your heart. Where is your heart, and why are you doing what you're doing? Well, that's what Micah is saying in the middle of all this chaos in the world. He says, as for me and my family and my friends, and as for those of us who are faithful to God in Israel, we will worship the Lord our God and follow what he says. Now it goes on a little bit more, but we probably need to stop for too long. Anyway, verse 6, in that day, now once again he takes us back into the future. He's Verse 5 was about uh, the present situation in his day. And then uh, in verse 6, In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on even forever. 
Uh, isn't that interesting that God usually chooses losers to be his leaders? Uh, poor and outcast and... Uh, uh, he doesn't go for people who have six PhDs from the right universities and the people who are great successes in business and have the best looks and the best charm. He doesn't. He goes to the afflicted, to the lame and the outcast, and he picks those people generally. Of course, those people are generally more willing to listen, hopefully. He'll pick you, even if you are rich, famous, and attractive. He'll pick you if you want him to, Okay. And he takes that remnant, and that, and that becomes his leader, his leadership, and he reigns over them uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, anything in the life, uh, anything in the Gospels that re- that's, goes along with this idea here? Yes, they remember that, that, that wonderful parable Jesus told about the man who had a wedding, uh, was going to have a wedding feast for his own son, and uh, so he sent out the king. This is the king. So he sent out letters of invitation to everybody in the country, and if the king invites you to the wedding, uh, you don't say no. And, uh, and he waited around, and uh, nobody responded. And, and nobody uh, bothered to even acknowledge the wedding invitation. And the king was outraged. And so he said to his servants, okay, you go out into the streets and round up all the low life out there. You go out and get the homeless people and uh, go out into the neighborhoods and round up anybody you can find that, that's willing to come to the med- wedding feast because we're going to have a big party here and I'd like you to please come. Uh, one guy comes in. And it gets thrown out. One of these, uh, uh, all kinds of people, thousands of people flock in. One guy's thrown out because he doesn't have a wedding garment. So at the door, when you show up at the wedding, you have to have a wedding garment, and this, which means you have to believe in Jesus and have the righteousness of Jesus to be qualified to come to the banquet. The, the, yes, right, uh huh. When the nations. Oh, that, that, it's, Mike is outside of time here. He, 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 he jumps around a little bit. He talks about Messiah reigning from Jerusalem, and then in verse 6, he, go, he goes back and talks about. The, the the very end of World War III. The very end of World War III is when uh, Israel, uh, the people living in Jerusalem, look upon him whom they've pierced, and they come to him, and he strengthens the tribe of Judah first, and Judah becomes a great, uh, a mighty army, and goes to battle against the nations of the world. And, and uh, he, he says here... Um, uh, that, that, he, that, that's gonna, that will precede the coming of the Messiah. Um, at verse 8, And you, O tower of the flock, that's a beautiful title, Migdal Adir, you tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Jerusalem, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. I'm going to restore you to the greatness that you had under David, and I'm going to 
bring you back to a greater place among the nations than you ever knew before. That's the picture. Now, in Zechariah, you remember the, remember the sequence of events in the, in the prophet Zechariah. The armies of the world rush in on Jerusalem, overrun the city. It looks as if the whole city is going to be absolutely destroyed. Those who have fled, the believers who have fled earlier, uh, that are safe down in Basra, we can forget about them, but in Jerusalem, just about uh, it's, it's total chaos, but there will be a few Jews in Jerusalem who will wake up to the fact that they've forgotten their long-lost Messiah. They'll probably get a vision of him with the nail wounds. Uh, they'll repent. Uh, go read Zechariah 12, 13, 14. That's your afternoon assignment. Uh, the moment Israel repents, he empowers them. And, and, the, and he empowers Judah first. And Judah rises up like a great strong army and surprises their enemies. Uh, and then the Lord comes back to Jerusalem and destroys all of his adversaries. And then we get this kingdom set up. And then the king reigns from Jerusalem. Everybody's hopelessly confused. Same idea, repent, return. Maybe we do a couple more verses here. Verse 9. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? What about the present day? What about Micah's day? What about the time just before the Lord comes back? Pangs have seized you, Israel, like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field. You shall even go to Babylon. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So so Micah takes us right back to his own day. And he says, it's not going well right now. It's going to get worse because you people living here in Israel are going to be all taken off to Babylon. uh, But then the Lord's going to bring you back. Now, verse 11 jumps. Now also, it jumps to head to the end, to the final time. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, let her be defiled and let her eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. That's long term. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. I will make your horn iron. And I will make your hooves bronze. It's a suddenly awakened remnant in Jerusalem. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. See there? The whole cycle of destruction and ruin and regathering. But the final regathering is the permanent one. Okay? Is anybody, is this okay with Micah? Thoughts, arguments, everybody's so confused. Yeah. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I didn't write this. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just reading it, you know. <laughs> 
Uh, yes. Uh, most, uh, uh, orth- most Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem who believe the Tanakh, the Old Testament, particularly the five books of Moses, the Torah, would say that God has promised a great golden kingdom uh, on earth and, it, and Messiah will bring it in. They would say that. And most Orthodox Jews would say salvation is of the Jews, so the, the world peace depends on us, so we can't really be destroyed ultimately because that would mean the end of the whole human race. So somehow the Messiah is going to show up and save Israel, and somehow Israel is going to be instrumental in the saving of the whole world. The issue would be they don't think the Messiah has come yet, and they're pretty sure it's not Jesus. Now, if you made up your mind that the Messiah is not Jesus and he hasn't come yet, then does that open you up for any future problems? It sort of does, yes, because Jesus said, I have come in my own name, and you Jews would not receive me. Another will come in his own name. Him you will receive. This last week, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem completed the gold crown, which the high priest wears when they build the third temple. They have the priestly garments ready for the high priest. There's going to be a man put that crown on one of these days, and it is not going to be Jesus. It's going to be a fake Messiah. Is Israel headed for some pretty hard times? And the world? Yeah. Important for us to sort out the truth. Yes? Yes. See what, see what God is actually doing right now. Right now in the current age, he's sort of letting man do his own thing uh, to prove that we don't do a very good job in being our own gods. And he's sort of letting evil run its full course. Then he'll step in and during the millennium, he'll say, okay, I'll take the devil out of the picture and I'll give you a good righteous government. Now let's see how you do. It's just the old sinful old flesh. And how well will the human beings do without the devil and with Jesus ruling in Jerusalem? Not very well. That won't work either. So at the end of the millennium, we have to get rid of all of the rest of the evil that's in us and new heavens and a new earth and so on. Yeah. Well, let's, do we not usually? Was that not the pattern of the fall? Uh, uh, Eve blamed the serpent, and uh, Adam blamed Eve, and, uh, and God. It's God's fault. If you hadn't given me this woman, I never would have ever gone astray. You know, so that's, the, that's how we always are. No, we won't. We will be, with our resurrection bodies, we'll be free from all sin in New Jerusalem. It's the people growing up on the earth will still have their sinful Adamic nations, natures.
to Augustine, essentially. It got embedded into the Catholic Church. The Reformers never fixed it. It tends to come from Augustine, and, it, and since it was embedded in the Catholic Church, and it's tra- pretty much gone into all the Reformed churches, and they've never corrected it for the most part. That's sort of the story about it. Replacement theology is the teaching that the church has replaced Israel in the plan of God. Now, what I believe and what I hope all of you believe is that that God made a set of promises to the nation of Israel, which he has never taken back, and he will fulfill all those promises to Israel. And Israel is, in that sense, a separate group of believers. Then God called out the church and gave us a set of promises down through history, God's brought people to himself before the flood, after the flood. All sorts of groups of people have relationships with God. We're not the only group with a relationship with God. We have a very privileged place, the bride of Christ. We have a heavenly promises. And in the end, all believers are children of Abraham. What kind of a family does Abraham have? Huge, great, big, diverse family. So you can't lump all this together into just one simplistic people. Now, God has always saved people on one basis of faith and trust. And the faith that pleases God is like the faith of Abraham. Yeah, Yeah, I I suppose. The history, there's a long history of people that have disagreed down through the years. Okay, let's pray to quit. Father, thank you for... Uh, the wonderful words of Micah, how much uh, richness and power there is tucked away in the word of God in this ancient book. Even in these obscure parts of the Bible, there are these great gems that uh, show us about uh, sinful human nature and the rebellion and, uh, and government and, and leadership and uh, religion and also your redeeming love for all nations and your promises to Israel and to us. Father, help us to stay faithful to you and to be in the believing remnant and help us also to know the Bible well, to know it thoroughly, to be able to argue with people who are, are less informed and help us to be loving and non-judgmental towards people who, uh, that we may differ with in our, uh, in our beliefs. Uh, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who is our teacher, our Lord, our Messiah who goes with us. Uh, strengthen us. What a wonderful uh, thing it is to be traveling with dear friends uh, on this great journey of being in this special remnant in this day. In the name of Jesus. Amen.